Hey, this is Mark A. Altman of Inglorious Trexperts in the 430 movie. And if you're a fan of our podcast, you don't want to miss Deck 78, available now by subscribing at trexpertsplus.com. This is a bonus podcast full of great discussions about popular culture, film, and television. And on this episode, don't miss our in-depth discussion with showrunner director Kenneth Johnson about the 40th anniversary of V, The Incredible Hulk, Six Million Dollar Man, The Bionic Woman, and of course, Bigfoot. Here's a sneak peek. But it was, Brennan was in a hurry. And um, normally to do a four hour miniseries with a cast of almost 70 people, um, you'd have what, four or five months just to prep right. you know, the whole thing, just to build the stuff you needed and all of that. And, um, uh, and four or five months. And from the weekend when Brandon read my full first draft script and said, go, until the day I said action was two and a half weeks. Oh, my God. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, they, wow. People, well, yeah, most people like you, most people in the industry go, no, you didn't. That's bullshit. I know. Casting, prep, location scout. I mean, it's, and, and it, it, it just people is one thing, but that's crazy. That's extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was insane. And, uh, and how did it, how did it happen? Well, it happened because Brandon really needed it for February or thought he did. And um, uh, and he knew that I could deliver and deliver fast as I had in the past. But I said, geez, guys, you know, uh, so I said, OK, look, I'll do the best. We, we'll do the best we can. And uh, and we started shooting literally two and a half weeks after he said go. Um, and I know I obviously we had stuff that we were beginning to line up. I had always already corralled almost all of my uh, crew from the Incredible Hulk at Universal to bring them over to be with me at uh, uh, at Warner's. I brought along Chuck Davis, who had been my production designer on Prometheus and on, on the whole Incredible Hulk series and Bionic Woman uh, before that. Uh, Chuck, who always would tell me, is this the best we can do? You know, and... Uh, um, a brilliant guy. And uh, I, I, that's a whole other story. But um, so I had I had a team that had been working together for, you know, for over five years uh, that really spoke the same language and a brilliant cinematographer in John McPherson uh, and my composer, Joe Harnell, who uh, and I knew exactly where I wanted to go with the music and all. Um, so I was had begun to line things up, but it wasn't until Brandon said go that I could say, OK, move everybody in here. Let's start the casting. Let's start the location scouting. And uh, and uh, and this was in a day where there were no cell phones. To, they could show you pictures. The you know they'd have to go take the pictures and bring them back, or they'd have to drag you out to the location. So we're doing all of that and, and casting in the afternoons. Uh, and, and in many cases, I, I hired the first actor that they brought me because they happened to hit the ball exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> anymore, they tell everybody else they can go home. So subscribe today at trexpressplus.com and don't miss a single episode of Deck Seventy Eight. Fire the rockets. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And this is Ashley Miller. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And today, 
we're visiting some strange new worlds. We're going on an incredible voyage beyond a star beyond time, you could say. <laughs> we're going on an untold voyage Ooh. with the Marvel Comics miniseries Untold Voyages. And writer Glenn Greenberg will be joining us to talk about that very interesting. I don't know if you call it a footnote in Star Trek history, but certainly in Star Trek comic history, um, there was that fascinating time where Paramount launched the Paramount Movies comics and um, they launched a whole bunch of Star Trek titles. I mean, I remember at the time I was like, it was, it was 98. Um, mm -hmm. It was like, it was, it was like they were launching like five Star Trek titles at once. It was like, I was amazed when they had one title, you know, they never survived very long. We got back, didn't live long, fortunately. But then Marvel launched <laughs> like a bunch of titles and they were really cool. There was a Captain Pike title and there was a, a Starfleet Academy and there was a Deep Space Nine for And this is right no after Captain I had Sue. done my Malibu run of Deep Space Nine and I had done my DC Comics star, original Star Trek. And um, so Glenn Greenberg, who's a longtime fan of the uh, Trexperts, um, uh, is going to be joining us to talk about uh, Until Voyages, which is explores that fascinating period of the second five-year mission after the motion picture, but before Khan. Yeah. yeah. And, I and that before, was a great run. Before any uh, of you get a, a big idea, we didn't bring him on just because he was a fan of the Trexperts. So no, we actually that out your mind right now. No, actually, the reason we brought him on was because uh, this is an era I think we've talked about a lot about that you know really has that we gone really on didn't understand. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not only the Marvel comics, you know, Top Gun and all this. No, yeah, they didn't do Mission Impossible. Comic. Yeah, but um, <laughs> you know, those are his, his, his book was legit good. Like those, like those five issues are legitimately really good. And they, it was a really interesting way to um, to explore uh, that period between the motion picture and uh, and the Wrath of Khan. I thought it was a pretty great conceit, uh, kind of going a year at a time. And I thought it was just smart, and it was it was fun. I remember when yeah, it came I, out. I, I think you know uh, the, the Marvel um, line, the Paramount Comics line, probably would have gotten a lot more attention if it had lasted longer. You know, really was a very short compared to how long IDW's had it, how long DC had it, how long Marvel had it after the motion picture. It really was like here and gone. And yeah, that's why like, a lot of people don't talk about it. And I'm glad that we were able to, you know, sort of talk a little bit about it today. I I knew uh, very I knew very little about it. Uh, uh, only, uh, you know, only learning about the uh, Marvel team up when uh, I saw the cover for the uh, Star Trek X-Men crossover. Yeah, and it's interesting because, uh, you know, you dig it the most because, of course, it's set in that motion picture era, which is, you know, you're so fond of, you know, in the shadow I'm, of uh, I'm, the I'm motion fond picture. Of many, many phases of Star Trek. Not many only, such voyages are possible. Many phases too, possible. on. Yeah. Well, I mean, and of course, you you know, um, didn't when you were doing the phase two with uh, James Cawley and his team in Ticonderoga, Weren't they dealing with the same era that 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 uh, post motion picture era, or was it before? It's uh, well, it's sort of that alternate universe version of uh, what Star Trek would have been, um, right? But, well, because uh, they, they postulate that the second five most people do the second five year mission was before motion picture. Correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. Correct. And 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 this was saying the second five year mission was after or, was after motion picture. Yeah. yeah. Um. Which is which is interesting because there is a you know there's such a dramatic change from we know we know why tonally 
and uh, aesthetically from the motion picture to Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. that that's really inter- something interesting to explore. I mean, it's not just something like the uniforms, but the 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 the, the characters themselves change so much between movies. Yeah, yeah, and the ship. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can find these uh, uh, issues because uh, I I want to know I want to know more. Would you like to know more? Well, if you would, then maybe we should beam in writer Glenn Greenberg and have him tell us about his Marvel experience on the fringes of space, exploring the untold voyages. <laughs> And here we are with Glenn Greenberg. We're about to go uh, where no one has gone before, except for Glenn, the untold <laughs> voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's time to was... tell. It's time to tell the untold. <laughs> we only waited how many years? What, was it 25 years to, uh, to explore? <laughs> um, and, we, you know, it's interesting because we've done a couple of shows about the comic books and we've talked about, um, obviously, with the Brothers Tipton about IDW and I've yep. talked about Malibu and we've all, you know, we, we talked about DC and all. But we always talk about Marvel and haven't really had anybody who's been in, you know, when Marvel took over the license um, and did a, a bunch of books. And of course you were one of the writers of uh, this was untold voyages. There were a couple of, of, of books that debuted around that time. There was the captain Pike one, which was early voyages, right? Not to be confused with untold voyages. <laughs> and then they, I think they did a, a Voyager comic, right? And um, yeah, they did. They did monthly versions of Voyager and deep space nine. They did an original series called Starfleet Academy, which was mostly original characters. And I think Nog from deep space right. nine was, was part of that. Um, and early voyages was a was a regular ongoing, and they did a, a few limited series, which Untold Voyages was one of those. And there was a quarterly book called Star Trek Unlimited, which was double sized and it was split in half. So the first half would be original series, and then the second half would be uh, Next Generation. One half is white, one half is black. <laughs> you get to pick which one is which. So that's right. That's right. From episode to episode. So, so tell us how how did you get involved with um, Untold Voyages, and and did you have a, a the, the pick of uh, different titles, or was this a, an assignment, or how did this all come about for you? Well, I, I'd wanted to write Star Trek uh, comics, novels, whatever. I, ever since I was like around twelve, and I read Yesterday's Sun by by Anne Crispin, and that made me want to become not just a Star Trek writer, but just a writer. And so it had long been a dream of mine to do it. And I had been writing to Bob Greenberger when uh, DC Comics had uh, had the license. I would I would uh, write to him and pitch him stories. And uh, this is like, like when I was in high school or college. And and then I landed at Marvel as an editor. And I pretty much had to give up that dream of writing uh, Star Trek comics for DC because I was at Marvel. I was on staff at right. Marvel. Yeah. Then around 1996, the, the, the universe kind of shifted right under my feet. And uh, Marvel ended up with the license. And so but wait, wait, uh, I want to stop you there yeah, for a second. Because sure. just to clarify, it wasn't strictly a license, wasn't it? It was Paramount Comics. It was a yes. joint venture, which was a little different than in the past where DC or Marvel would just pay a license fee and a royalty and get to do a comic. Uh, this was like Paramount would actually thought they were getting into the comic book business. To a certain extent, yes, because if you if you remember correctly, it all started with the I can't remember if it was an adaptation or or a prelude, but uh, to the first Tom Cruise Mission Impossible movie. Right. Hmm, right. That's where it all started. 
And then the next thing that we did was, uh, I know, I think it's one of your favorite comics of all time, uh, Star Trek X-Men. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask about that. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> um, that was that was the next thing. That was that was basically just to announce, we've got it. Here it is. You know, just to sort of get the ball rolling. So yeah, it was originally supposed to be a, a, a its own little line line of comics. A, a, yeah, I was excited about Saturday yeah. Night Fever and the continuing adventures of Tony Monero. <laughs> that uh, unfortunately it never happened. That was the next thing we were going to do right when they right when they ended the deal. Uh, <laughs> But um, so so um, we got the license and they, they split the books into two editors, editorial offices. One was uh, Bobby Chase, who uh, is probably best remembered for having edited much of the Incredible Hulk run that Peter David had written, mm-hmm. um, which is a classic run. And the other editor was uh, Tim, Tim Toohey, who was a good friend of mine. And the way it just kind of came together was I was I was working um I had been working on Spider-Man for the most part and then I was um uh got promoted to editor of my own titles and I was working late one night Tim was working late in his office one night I went into his office to hang out and I just said I wasn't angling for for a, a writing assignment I just said to him I said you know you're in a really interesting position here I said you could do the original Marvel series that that was done in 1980 to 81, and you can do it right this time because, mm. as I'm sure you know, the original Marvel license that was done after the motion picture, they couldn't make any references or use any characters from the original TV show. Right. Everything had to be derived from the first movie. So you could use Klingons, but you couldn't use Romulans. I mean, there right. was stuff like that. So I said, we we are not under, we're not bound under those terms. So, and I said, and the period after the motion picture is so underexplored. I said, you could have a lot of fun with this. Uh, and Tim was like nodding. And I said, uh, I said, you could, you could start planting seeds to set up the wrath of Khan. Mm-hmm. I said, you could, you could start like delving into the characters' private lives a little bit. So you could take them where they end up in wrath of, and he's nodding and he's nodding. And, um, he started throwing out ideas at me and I started throwing more ideas. We started jokingly calling it Star Trek, the great pajamas saga. And uh, <laughs> I loved it. Um, and I, I think I, I think I suggested to him, I said, why don't we call like, you know, Star Trek, you know, the secret missions or the untold missions or whatever like that. And he was like, I like untold voyages. I said, All right, whatever, you're, you're the editor. So he's like looking at me and he's got this grin on his face. I'm like, what? He said, what are you still doing here? Go home and write up a pitch. <laughs> so I said, "Really? Are you serious?" He goes, "Yeah, we just spent 20 minutes talking about this. Go, who, who am I going to take a pitch from if not you?" So I said, <laughs> "Okay." And I went home and and I wrote up a pitch, and um, it was everything we had talked about. And one of the other things I said is, I said, "Look, if you do it as like say, say you start off as like a five issue limited series, let's say the Kirk had a second five year mission after the motion picture. Each issue can go one year deeper." into the five-year mission so you can show the progress. I said, at some point, like maybe in the last issue, that's when they switch over to the Wrath of Khan uniforms. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, all of that was in the pitch. Um, I put forth some story ideas and uh, he sent it to Paramount because at the time it was Paramount doing all of the uh, the approvals, not CBS. And um, uh, we they were working, Marvel was working with uh, two great people in the licensing department, Paula Block, Mm-hmm, and sure. Chip Carter, and um, 
Uh, my my relief was just the fact that the guy who'd been doing all the approvals in the earlier part of the nineties wasn't there anymore. No, uh, Richard Arnold. Yeah, yeah, because I'd heard yeah. nightmares about him. So, uh, um, but uh, no, Paula and and Chip were were absolutely fantastic to work with. There was a lot of back and forth, and and um, uh, 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 they they made the book better. And uh, if they if they rejected something, and I had a good reason for wanting to do it the way I did it, the way I wanted to do it, they backed off and let me do it, um, which which I understand would have been impossible under the previous uh the previous guy richard arnold so you know it was it was it was great may he rest in peace may he rest in peace um but um they um they approved it they had some suggestions they had some notes um but my the, the story that i had pitched for the for the first issue they didn't like and so they wanted it to be Something more Star Trekky, feeling more Star Trekky, and Tim and I sat down and 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 uh, came up with an alternate idea, and they were right. They were right. The first issue ended up being a lot more Star Trekky than uh, than I think it would have been otherwise, and and so I was really grateful for their for their feedback. That's how it all came together. It really was a spur of the moment conversation between two editors hanging out after hours at the Marvel offices. No, that's great. And I presume that you were a big fan of the motion picture that you wanted to take on uh, the post motion picture era. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's really where my interest in Star Trek was sparked. I was familiar with the TV show because my older brother and sister used to watch it um, uh, uh, here in uh, New York, uh, Channel 11 at six o'clock every night. And so I was familiar with Star Trek, but I didn't really um become interested in it until my older sister took me to see the motion picture and then at that point something just kind of went off in my head and uh, i started buying all the pocket novels as they were coming out and i bought the marvel series um and then star trek II: the wrath of khan came out and 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 the way i compare it is star trek the motion picture was a very f- good first date star trek II was when i realized i was in love and okay. uh and, and, and that's that you were going to say something else. Oh, <laughs> I guess that's the third day. <laughs> but but that's that's really where. So, yeah, I, I was I was a big admirer of the motion picture. And I always felt um, that 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 era was just ripe for exploration. And and uh, it, it never really got the uh, the attention that, that I think uh, was the potential for, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there's some great novels set in that period, uh, just not enough to suit me. Right. Now, obviously, um, the challenges with comic books is a certain expectation of action. And you know, it's our, you know, art and, 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 and uh, splash pages and things like that. Star Trek is traditionally it's been called a radio show, right? By Nick Meyer and other people. Um, how, how do you reconcile sort of the pacing or the storytelling of a Star Trek, which is very character oriented versus the sort of action that a comic book demands? Well, what I tried to do is I, I approached it as if I was handed the reins to uh, a, a, a Star Trek, either as a TV show or as a movie series, and I had an unlimited budget. And if right. that was the case, what would I do? So I I tried to really think in terms of kind of like the same approach that they took with the original animated series. When, when Roddenberry would tell all the writers, you're not limited by budget. Just use your imagination and come up with anything you want to come up with. Uh, really um, odd looking aliens and, and alien um, 
worlds, landscapes and stuff like that. So uh, I came up with space battles and I came up with really odd looking alien creatures and, and landscapes and um, just the kind of stuff that um, I think that they could have done uh, if they had the kind of budget that the, that, that w- it would have taken. I think it's the kind of stuff that they do now on the um, the uh, Paramount Plus shows where, they've, they, where they do have a substantial budget and they're able to do some really cool stuff. And that was the kind of approach that I took. Um, I understood that comic books is a very different medium from television. So I couldn't just write radio scripts, as you, as you said. Yeah, what, I, yeah. what, I, what I tried to do is, and I literally just sat down and did thumbnails of every issue uh, and tried to pace it that way. Like, what's going to work in terms of a comic book? It's, it's, taking, it's really just taking the Star Trek format, the Star Trek concept and the characters and literally adapting it to the comic book format. So I'm not really doing Star Trek as it was done in the television format. I'm doing Star Trek as it would I think it would work in the comic book format, which is kind of what DC did, which is yeah. what made the DC run so successful. Did you go back and look at a lot of that, you know, uh, the Star Trek adaptations before? I, I assume not the gold key, but maybe the early Marvels after the motion picture, uh, you know, Marv's run and, and then Mike Barr's stuff. And I, I'd read that stuff so many times that it's so ingrained <laughs> in my memory. I, I didn't right. have to go back. And also, I didn't want to be too influenced by by stuff that I had uh, grown up with because I, I, I really wanted to sort of approach it with with a fresh perspective uh but all that stuff was was still in my head what i did do uh because of the time frame in which these stories took place i did consult the uh the book that had come out around that time which was uh, star trek phase two the lost series and i read that very carefully closely to see not not to not to rip off any story ideas or anything like that because i mean that's that's plagiarism um but just to see if there were any ideas or any any lines or concepts that could spark something and take me in a new direction and uh the answer was no i i didn't get i didn't derive anything from from those stories that that they were going to do for uh phase two uh but you wanted to introduce zon in your comic right well you know (laughs) if i could have i would have but you know dc had already beaten me to it Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I knew that that I wouldn't have been uh, covering any 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 new ground there. Uh, right. But yeah, but but Zon, I mean, it would have been interesting to work him in. Maybe if we had done a 10 issue miniseries, maybe I would have tried to do something like that. But that's that's really what I was looking towards. I was looking towards um, uh, anything from phase two, because that basically was going to be the second five year mission. Mm-hmm. Um, and any any ideas that that were planned for the original TV series that didn't quite make it in. So, uh, you know, and one of the, one of the, one of those concepts was uh, Joanna McCoy, McCoy's daughter. Right. So, um, so stuff like that. But other than that, um, I, I really try to, to explore new territory, um, which, which looking back amazes me because, you know, I'm such a huge Star Trek fan that you think I would want to like just dive into the lore and play with, just pre-established stuff. But um, for the most part, I, I did try to explore new ground. Yeah. What was, which is, go ahead, Dan. Sorry, what was the first story that you pitched that they didn't like? The first story that I they, they didn't like was basically, I mean, to, to distill it down to the, the most basic, it, it was basically Star Trek meets aliens. Hmm. Uh, it was going to be a very alien-like species that, that, um, that uh, they encounter. And Kirk, because he's been out of the captain's chair for so long and is a little rusty, something that TOS Kirk would have like naturally 
avoided or, or gotten out of easily, he and he and a landing party get trapped by by these alien creatures. And so he's going through this whole existential crisis is, am I too old to be doing this? Am I too mm-hmm. rusty? Am I am I not the man that I was three and a half years ago? Um, and uh, I, I, I did manage to to take that existential crisis and put it in the new story. But that was that was basically what it was. And, and Paramount felt that it wasn't a Star Trek enough story right. uh, to, to go with for, for the first issue of, uh, of a new series. Well, one of the other things they pushed back on, which I think is really interesting, because we had a long conversation about uh, this character during our holiday countdown, but that they insisted that Savik be a full Vulcan, uh, as opposed to the half Vulcan, half Romulan, that um, Vonda McIntyre, you know, did in the novelization, which was yep. because it was in the script. Yep. And uh, we, 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 I think we talked a lot about how the reason that Robin Curtis is, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, so flat in Star Trek Three is because Leonard wanted her as a full Vulcan and wanted to yep. drop the whole, you know, the whole hybrid aspect fiery of uh, Romulan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's that's the pushback that I got uh, in in my story. Uh, that was issue number two. Oh, that was the other thing. Uh, the, the the way that the the series was structured was each issue would focus on a different character. So the first issue was Kirk, second issue Spock, third issue McCoy, fourth issue and the rest, and then uh, <laughs> with with an emphasis on Sulu, and then the fifth issue is back to Kirk. And so the second issue was going to be about Spock. And uh, in a flashback, it would be how he first encountered Savick and then them sort of like coming to uh, a, a new step in their relationship. <laughs> and so I, I leaned heavily into what had been established about Savick in the past from by Vonda McIntyre, by Mike Barr in the DC comics. And there was a great novel uh, in the late 80s called The Pandora Principle by Carolyn Close. And there was some great stuff in there that she had established about Savick. So I was playing with all of that. And the pushback that I got from Paramount was it had never been established on screen that Savick was half Romulan. That was only in the licensed material and I should not feel bound by it. And they encouraged me to just not deal with it at all. Uh, she, as far as, as far as we're concerned, she's a full Vulcan. And I was kind of like, Oh boy, <laughs> because my, my reaction was, was for about 10, 15 years at that point, fandom had embraced mm-hmm. the whole concept of Savick as half Vulcan, half Romulan. I didn't want to be the outlier because let's face it, you know, years from after that, you know, when, when it came time to sort of like, you know, point to the one story that doesn't fit, you know, that that's not part of, you know, we don't accept that one. It was going to be mine. You know, I was going to be the outsider there. And I was like, no, I, I want this story to be embraced as much as all of the previous stories were. Um, and so the one concept that I took from Carolyn Close was that, the whole reason for 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 Savick to have been born in the first place, which he was part of this Romulan project, where the Romulans had captured Vulcans because they wanted to find out how to uh, harness the mental telepathy powers that the Vulcans have, the mind melds, and the you know all the other stuff, and so that's what the whole project was about. That resulted in Savick's birth, and when the Romulans realized they couldn't do it, they abandoned the children on that that planet. Uh, where the pl- where the children grew up feral and Spock found her and and so forth, and the one note at that point where where Paramount accepted my position that yeah okay we'll go with the half Romulan thing, what they didn't want is that whole mental telepathy thing because their their attitude was 
It's never been established on screen that Romulans don't have those telepathic powers. So we don't want to state categorically that they don't. So to make it a real plot point would be a problem. I said, okay, all right, fine. Because at that point, I felt like I had won the battle. So I was like, whatever you want, sure. Uh, so I downplayed that whole aspect of why the Romulans were capturing Vulcans and you know, uh, uh, p- putting them through forced birth and, and stuff like that uh, and selective breeding, genetic engineering. Um, and uh, I, I played it very vague, but I got what I really wanted, was, which was to keep Savick half Romulan. But that's, well, what, that's where Paramount was. It, it's great that they stopped you from doing that because uh, uh, they certainly uh, made good use of the Romulans uh, in future projects. So uh, <laughs> your, your, uh, your story would have ruined all of that. Well, <laughs> I, I had a very good I had a very good relationship with them. So and I, no ill will. Yeah, but they stopped you from bringing back Viger, unfortunately. No, they did actually. Oh, <laughs> on, a, on a different on a different project. Um, I, I I was writing the I was writing the prose uh, the, uh, novellas for um, for Simon and Schuster for a while, and that was uh, that was one of my pitches was V'ger 2.0, and it right. got rejected. <laughs> Captain, we're getting a subspace signal from someone who says they used to be V'ger. <laughs> oh my gosh so now yeah, it's interesting because you weren't afraid to dip into sort of legacy characters because you made a full court press on joanna mccoy yeah. for issue number three yeah um that was uh, that was another funny story because as, as i'm sure you guys know um joanna mccoy was supposed to be introduced in the third season in an episode called joanna and it got heavily rewritten into uh the way to eden which is one of yeah, the, brother. one of the one of the worst episodes of all time um i'm no herbert uh but uh uh and and the key thing the key thing as again as i'm you guys know is the story was so heavily rewritten joanna mccoy was originally supposed to have some kind of weird flirtation with captain kirk and it was going to cause problems between kirk and mccoy and all of that and the story gets changed so that joanna mccoy becomes irena galulin and instead of kirk she's involved with chekhov okay so we fast downgraded (laughs) (laughs) well wait wait till this wait till i tell you the story so uh, the whole idea behind issue number three, because it was the McCoy story, I wanted to do at least that aspect of the, jo- the of the Joanna story. I wanted to at least play with it just to a certain mm-hmm. extent. And so I didn't know that it was en- going to end up being a, a sequel to Miri when I first started writing it. Mm-hmm. But I knew I wanted Joanna McCoy in there. And so um, I pitched the story and, and it becomes this whole sequel to Miri. And the whole idea is that the cure that McCoy came up with for the for the uh, onlys in Miri started to break down and they're dying again. Mm. And um, Joanna McCoy, who is a nurse, gets pulled into that whole scenario. And as a result of all this, she and Kirk were, were going to uh, have a flirtation and it was going to really bend McCoy's no- nose out of joint. And so the feedback that I got from <laughs> from Paramount was was. We're a little concerned about the age difference between Kirk and Joanna. Um, how about instead of getting her involved with Kirk, she gets involved with Chekhov? <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I literally, I, I literally burst out laughing. I'm like, what is it what that they have with Joanna and Chekhov? I don't understand. <laughs> what it was, and so uh, I, again, I wrote, I wrote a very long memo explaining what I was trying to do, and I used all of the official chronology stuff because all the, all the chronology books had come out by then in the encyclopedia, and I was able to use uh, logic to explain to them that by the time my story takes place. Joanne is about 26, 27, and Kirk is about 43. And this is the 23rd century, a 17-year yeah. difference. The time of new humans. <laughs> right. That's right. Also, half your age plus seven, I think, is the rule. So she's about there on the margin. And, and like, it's not like he's Leonardo DiCaprio. Right, you know? exactly, exactly. Well, I think I think the killer argument that I made is I said, my sister is married to somebody who's 17 years older. So this isn't really as scandalous as, as you may think. And to their credit they said okay okay fine go ahead and it yeah, was great go ahead and see where it gets you yeah buddy <laughs> <laughs> it just can't be with viger <laughs> right no. so but yeah i was uh but that that one that one made me laugh because it's like what wh what is it with this premise and chekhov yeah I, I just didn't i couldn't believe it yeah it's interesting because most of the cast you know, they don't follow the licensed material. They don't care about the licensed material. But uh, there's one exception in the case of uh, George. Um, you know, G George actually takes an interest in seeing how his character is depicted because one day he hoped he would be a captain. Um, so uh, you had a little uh, run in with uh, with George over one of your uh, uh, issues. Yeah, um, this was this was soon after I wrote the fourth issue, which is um, which centers on on Sulu. And it's really like his first mission where he's in, he's left in command of the Enterprise because Kirk has to go on on a, a separate mission. And so Kirk uh, Sulu ends up commanding the Enterprise. And um, at the end of the story, that's where the, the, the appetite is really sort of sparked in him to become a captain on his own. It doesn't take it takes a long time for it to ultimately happen, of course, but that's really where where it began, where he wanted to become a captain. So I turn in the issue and it's 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 in the works. It's going to be published. And I'm at a convention in Chicago and I'm at a hotel in the lobby and I happen to see George Takei is kind of like holding court in the lobby. And a friend of mine, uh, a co-worker from Marvel who, who went to the convention with me uh, again, we're, we're in Chicago. He's tapping me on the shoulder saying, there he is. He's, you just wrote about him. Go over and say hello. And I'm like, nah, I don't want to. He goes, go, you got it. When are you going to get another chance to, 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 to talk to him? He said, you just wrote about his character. All right, all right, all right. So again, he's holding court. And uh, I wait for my moment. I wait for the conversation to lull. And I, I step up to him and I say, uh, Mr. Takei, my name is uh, Glenn Greenberg. I'm uh, an editor and writer at Marvel Comics. He goes, oh, Marvel Comics. And I said, yes. I said, we we have the Star Trek license now, and I'm one of the writers of the Star Trek comics, and, and I just wrote a, a story about your character. He goes, oh, you've written about Captain Sulu? And I said, well... No, Bill yeah. told us not to. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, yeah, but, but you're not a captain in the story yet. He goes, oh, well, you know I am a captain now. I said... <laughs> I said, I, I, I know. I said, I said, I, I said, but this is the story about how you and he goes, well, you know, I was supposed to become a, a, a captain in Star Trek, too. Uh, but the scene got cut out but for whatever reason. He goes, um, but I lobbied to be a captain in Star Trek three and Star Trek four. 
and Star Trek V. <laughs> and I had reached the point where I just gave up on the idea altogether. So you can imagine my delight when I got the script for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And I turned to the first page and it says, Captain Sulu of the USX Excelsior. And I'm like, yeah, I know all that. <laughs> I said, I know all of that. I said, I said, my story is the story where Sulu first. Dis- I said, my story takes place years before any of that. It's the story about how Sulu first decides he wants to become a captain. And George says, um, well, do I become a captain at the end of the story? Oh, my God. <laughs> and I said, no. And he says, well, who wants to read that? I'm a captain now. <laughs> And at oh that point, God. I said, at that point, I said, it's nice to meet you. And I, I walked away. <laughs> I, I just oh keep my. I keep hearing in my mind when Shatner would talk about this yeah. and he would say, I don't know why he wants to be a captain. I mean, if he's a captain, then he's not in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, go, go be a captain, but you're not on the show anymore. Right. <laughs> right. And it's not real. Uh, I wonder what happened to Sulu. Oh, he's a captain now. Yeah. His own ship. I really think he. Th- I really think he thinks he's got a promotion. I mean, I yeah. just. I, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it's the only hysterical. explanation. Because otherwise, it's ludicrous. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just... it's like I, he's punking I, us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I interviewed George a couple of years ago because I'm. I've. I've been in journalism for the past few years, and I, I wrote um, a nonfiction book about the history of Star Trek. And my editor lined me up with an interview with George uh, for the book, and I was like, "Oh, do I bring this up to him?" Nah. So we ended yeah. up having a wonderful conversation. I think part of it is because I didn't bring up my first encounter yeah. with him. <laughs> 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 and you kept calling him captain. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and that's what Bill wanted to be an admiral, so he would outrank me. Like, uh... <laughs> oh, so that was God. my that was my encounter with George. But so you uh... did you did the uh, you did the six the six uh, miniseries, and of course the Marvel um, comics the Star Trek line was not long for this world. I mean, yeah. was it? Um, w- w- you know, what wh- what do you think? uh was it was just not doing marvel numbers was it uh, financial commercial considerations or yeah um, what what led to its downfall i'll give you a little bit of the context about why i think how and why we got the license in the first place because because that'll that'll help um uh explain why it ended the way it did was when we got the license marvel um had been in financial having major financial problems for a couple of years and the executives at the time signed a deal with two of our competitors (laughs) two of our competitors uh rob liefeld and jim lee to take four of our main titles literally away from us and do them off to the side it's basically you know coke uh, hiring pepsi to, to to put out some of their sodas um and um, they, they were uh, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, Iron Man and Captain America, and some of the ancillary characters that, that were related. Mm-hmm. So they were taken away from us. They were out of our control. And with less books, uh, less need for editors uh, or a, a certain number of editors. So I think that that we kind of went on the hunt for an, uh, additional books to keep all of our editors working. Mm-hmm. And at around the same time that we went for the Star Trek license, I know we also went for the Star Wars license because the contract between Lucasfilm and, and Dark Horse Comics was about to expire. Mm-hmm. 
And so I saw I saw the the uh, pitch that we had put forth to Lucasfilm to do Star Wars. So either we were going to try to do both or we we're going to try to at least do one. So we got the Star Trek license and um, um, that filled in some of the some of the holes that were now in our schedule because some of our key books were taken away from us. Uh, between that time uh, and the time that the deal ended, Marvel went into bankruptcy. Um, we went in every day wondering whether or not they were going to shut down the entire operation, um, which, as you can imagine, was <laughs> not great for morale. But um, uh, we didn't know what was going to happen. And the fact was there were, there were two things going on. One is obviously we were paying a licensing fee, uh, which which is more money out of our pocket. The other thing was, was that we now had a new president. And the, the new president had nothing to do with the deal with um, uh, Liefeld and Lee, the guy, you know, the the the, the, the uh, president who signed away our books. Right. Yeah. New guy came in, and his attitude was, "Why are we paying? And why are we wasting time? You spending time and energy promoting another company's characters when we should be taking that time and energy and promoting." our characters so why do we even have this deal with paramount so he wanted to end it as soon as possible and i think that um, for whatever reason paramount um uh saw the writing on the wall and they kind of agreed that let's let's just shut this whole thing down um but that was that was my understanding and i know i know that this whole sort of like why are we promoting another character's uh, another uh, company's characters my understanding is that's the reason why dc lost the Star Trek license in the first place hmm. um, was because uh, someone, someone at Warner Brothers or someone at Paramount said, "We can't have Warner Brothers, a Warner Brothers company, promoting our characters," and so that's why the license opened up for 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 Marvel to sweep in. It's interesting. The only thing because... you should be promoting is Captain Sulu. <laughs> again and again until he becomes an admiral. At, at the time, I'm I'm sorry that I I missed your uh, run of comics because when I first learned of the uh, of the Paramount and uh, Marvel uh, tag team, um, I saw it with the uh, with the cover of the Star Trek X Men, and that completely turned me off to anything. So I think that might have happened with a bunch of people who uh, who because of that, you know, it it sure seems like a crass commercial kind of BS kind of thing uh, to, the, you know, the casual viewer who doesn't normally dive into comic books. And I know that that's how it worked with me. Yeah. I, and I, mean, I know that there are a lot of people who who felt that way when I first I mean, again, I was on staff at the time. So when I first heard that we were doing Star Trek X-Men, I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, really? Um, but when I when I heard a little bit more about it and I and I heard about the spirit in which it was going to be done in, it, it wasn't meant to be taken seriously. It wasn't meant to be considered part of the star trek firmament and right. and you know and you got the x-men hang you know it wasn't it was really it was more of like a celebration of the fact that we've got star trek yeah. we want to get attention for this line we want to give it a really strong start um you know i i contributed to it in a very very small way um the uh you know and, and the thing is we, we got a prestige team to do it you know it's not like we we just pulled some pe you know people off the street or b-level talent we had one of the most popular artists in the industry work on it mark silvestri mm -hmm. and at the time um one of the top writers uh who was writing one of the x-men books at the time scott Lobdell. And when I first heard that Scott was going to be writing it, 
I happened to be walking through the uh, the corridors at Marvel. I was right outside my office and I saw Scott and I grabbed him by the arm. I said, all right, there are two things you need to do. I said, first, Kirk has to hit on either Jean Grey or Storm. Or both. Or both. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that made it into the book. But I said, and the second thing is, there has to be a moment where somebody yells out, Dr. McCoy and Bones right. and the Beast both say, yes. <laughs> that made it into the book. That's cool. That's my contribution to Star Trek. That's, that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> but I read it and I felt that it, it 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 was no, you know, it did no harm. Uh, and it, would, it was actually better than I think it had any right to be. Right. Um, and, and, and that's the, the kind of way I look at it. I mean, if I was on the outside at the time and this book was coming out, would I feel the same way? Um, maybe. Just because it wasn't bad. I mean, that's, that's the key right. thing. It was not bad. I mean, if you can get past the concept and right. just read it for what it was. No, it I've, was, I, was, I, yeah. I've, heard, I've heard that uh, side of it and I, I believe it. Um, yeah. But, you know, at the time, we just sure. had that one cover to look at. And I looked at it and I said, OK, I don't want to go there. And, but he felt uh, the same way about Star Trek and Planet of the Apes. So, And chocolate and peanut butter, which is really <laughs> weird because that works. I will say I was going to bring up Star Trek and Planet of the Apes. And I have to tell you, um, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> I thought I thought it was a hoot. Uh, and and as again, as well done as it could possibly possibly be uh, just fun. I mean, not, again, not to be taken seriously. Star not Trek, canon. Not canon. <laughs> but 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 they but they did a really good job making it work with the established canon um star trek green lantern that was a little bit of a stretch for me <laughs> for some for some reason that kind of went past my border um and i was like yeah this is you know not not as not not as acceptable for whatever reason but um yeah uh so so you know the thing with the the thing with the uh the paramount deal was unfortunately for some of the books, uh, especially for early voyages, which was the Captain Pike series, it was Strange New Worlds before there was a Strange New Worlds. Right. And um, they terminated the deal so quickly that early voyages ended on a cliffhanger. Mm. And uh, 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 the story was never resolved. The same thing was essentially going to happen to me. Uh, we were originally they were going to end the book with number four, my book with number four. So there never would have been a fifth issue. Uh, and we got a reprieve at literally like the 11th hour. And uh, it was a double sized issue. So we had to scramble to, to to get it in the works. But yeah, it was I was very close to not even having getting my last issue of that series. So and, what was uh, behind the reprieve? Like what made them decide to hell with it? Go ahead and do your book. I think that that um, our editor, uh, I think it might have been Tim or it might have been our editor in chief. I think they just they just um, uh, they just argued the case that like, let's 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 at least uh, leave as many of the of the titles as we possibly can give give them give them a fitting ending closure and I, think, yeah. and I think that what happened with with early voyages is it was too far uh, along i think mm -hmm. it was too late in the schedule that uh, at the date when they wanted to terminate um early voyages was like the last sort of straggler and it was like we're not gonna we're not gonna extend it for you know for this the, just this one series right yeah 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 i think it had so a lot to do with that that so it was a great experience for you. You had a great time doing it. Um, obviously, you got to scratch that Star Trek itch. Um, yeah. 
And uh, and you, you mentioned that after that, you still got to do a little bit in the Star Trek universe because you were doing those some some work for Pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they had launched a, a series called Star Trek um, SCE for uh, uh, Star, uh, Starfleet Corps of Engineers. And it was a, <laughs> uh, centered on an original crew that was specifically for this prose series so that we'd have a more that have more freedom with the characters you know they're not you're not so locked into place with with established characters they pulled some characters in who had been on the tv series of next generation uh but you know they were never seen again on the show so they were able to pluck them and put them on this new ship right, sure. called the, the uss da vinci and um i got to do two of those these these were in the early 2000s and i um uh, I introduced uh, uh, a business tycoon, a 24th century business tycoon who tangles with the uh, with the crew. And because he was a parody of of certain uh, rich businessmen that I that I either knew or, or heard of, I titled the first book, The Art of the Deal. Uh-huh. And the second and the second book, The Art of the Comeback, uh, <laughs> not knowing what was going to be happening in the next <laughs> 10 years but you know what yeah, I found strange be, uh, about the USS Da Vinci is that it was the exact same ship as the USS Flint <laughs> that's right I, <laughs> see, and I was going to say I thought the guy the 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 the, uh, the 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 magnate the industrialist was Ralph Offenhouse the 4th right <laughs> you know since we know what a fan you are of Ralph Offenhouse yeah right. well um, but, yeah go ahead no I was going to say it's like he he was a very thinly veiled parody of uh, the guy who owned Marvel when I for most of the time that I was there and ran it into bankruptcy. So, <laughs> um, so he was kind of a thinly veiled parody of him and uh, the other guy, obviously. Well, for a second, right. when you were talking about the Starfleet Corps of Engineers, I was thinking that these were all stories uh, that took place during the six months that they were tunneling in Genesis. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Who's tunneling Genesis? <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, you have Seventy-eight years uh, bef- after the fact, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, it sounds like you had a a really fun Star Trek adventure, Glenn. I did. I had I had a wonderful time, um, and um, I keep up with uh, most of the stuff that's um, that's still going on. Uh, the I- IDW has had the license for a, a really long time now. I think I think they've done some really admirable uh, uh, work over the years, and and uh, yeah, I treasure. I, I, I could mean, be an admirable. <laughs> I really set you up for that, didn't I? Um, but I, I yeah, I, I look back at my experience uh, working on on Untold Voyages was was one of the uh, one of the best experiences I, I certainly one of the best experiences I had at Marvel and one of the best experiences I ever had in my in my writing career. It just was it was a joy. And I, I have to give I have to give a lot of credit to uh, Tim Tui, uh, my editor on that, because he was he was so nurturing and uh, a, a real uh, uh, great sounding board and, and just very encouraging. And uh, the artist that I worked with, Michael Collins, uh, who was terrific, he you know, I would I would great. send him these plots and he would just take them and bring them to life, uh, not just the way I envisioned them in my head, but uh, even better. And 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 he knew Star Trek so well and would put in all these little details that that even I didn't think of. Um, uh, it was it was just a great there was a great synergy going on between between all of us. And I'm sorry it ended. I would have loved to have done more. Has it been uh, collected? Have there been any like uh, graphic yeah. collections? Uh, oddly enough, about a year or two ago, and I, I have actually have it here just to show you guys. Uh, it was collected in hardcover. 
uh, Untold Voyages Ooh. by by uh, Eagle Moss uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, unfortunately, Eagle Moss went out of business yeah, uh, yes. uh, just a few months ago. And uh, I literally ordered what I believe was the last copy they had wow. in inventory. They said they they said one copy left, and so I snagged and, and bought it. And then right after that, they, they yeah. there were no more. They didn't get any more in, and then the company disappeared. So it was collected. There was, but not uh, anymore. <laughs> that, that cover, by the way, is a pretty good depiction of uh, of a standard you know night at dinner at the Miller House with my children. So, <laughs> I love it. It was yeah. It, it, so it it was collected. It was a thrill to be collected. Uh, yeah, I, sure. I've never had my work be collected in, in this kind of format. A hardcover. Wow. Yeah, that's um, really nice. They were they. It was our good friend uh, who's been on the podcast. Who's uh, a rich um, rich. Um, he's been on the podcast, guys. Come on, help me out, Miguel. You know, he's the comic guy. He's the Star Trek comic guy. Oh, Rich Handley. Uh, Rich Hanley, Rich, Rich right. Hanley was the editor on these, and he was heartbroken when the whole Eagle Moss because he wasn't able to finish. He was on his way to collecting yeah. the entire run of of of, of Star Trek uh, over the various publishers and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Rich is a terrific guy. He um, is. He's he's a, he's yeah. He's a, he's a he's a pal of mine, and 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 I know he mentioned me on the last podcast that you did when you guys talked about the, uh, the Star Trek comics. And I was like, wow, I got mentioned on Inglorious Trexperts. Cool. Um, so yeah, Rich, Rich is a great guy. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a shame um, uh, that, that it, it all ended. Uh, but Rich actually gave me the heads up that, that they were going to be doing this. Yeah. And um, I was very excited about it. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they actually got to it before they went under uh it's just it's just just hard it's going to be hard that doesn't help our listeners you're going to have to go to ebay guys exactly i I just went to ebay and got issues one through five oh fantastic oh terrific well thank you well (laughs) sure none of it bounces back to you but i will enjoy it (laughs) i hope you i hope you will there was a lot of love put into it and i think it shows through well, that that's clear, and it's so great when you see somebody who's as passionate and knowledgeable as Star Trek uh, getting uh, to be in the universe. And uh, it was, it, I'm so glad that we had you on the show to talk about this. It, you know, you, not only was it uh, Untold Voyages, it is a very, you know, it's not very well known. Um, so I'm I'm really glad we could shine a light on it and introduce this series to people who maybe didn't know uh know about it. So Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This was this was very exciting and and uh, uh I'm very gratified. Well, I have to say that was thoroughly enjoyable, wasn't it, gentlemen? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just happy to talk <laughs> about anything other than uh characters at this point. Other That's than the right. 101 Star Trek character, because we it did it for so long. Think, like, how do we miss Zahn on that list? Well, no, Zahn it's, it's easy list. because he, he, was he was never character. a character. Oh, that's that's how we missed him because he yeah. isn't real. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was interesting because you know a couple of weeks ago we did the um, the rebuttal to our list, and man, there was some crazy stuff people were saying. But I don't want to get back to the characters. I don't want to well, get back. Yeah, to the PTSD them. is too much for me. Although I, I do want to, I do wonder, like, had the enterprise ever encountered V'ger again, you know, what that would have been like, you know, would it, you know, with Ilea and Decker is sort of, well, I guess they've sort of evolved to another plane of existence. At it that would point. be like an uncomfortable reunion. 
right? It's like yeah. they're just passing through. It's like, hey guys, you just you don't know what hey, to talk about with them. What? Oh, right. Shit. I know. Like, it's Captain, show up. It's Captain Kirk. You lied about your oath of celibacy being on record. Clearly, you know, you and Decker, you know, Peter, now you've, travels... uh, you've lost weight. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the whole the whole V'ger thing is so, so interesting. But um, I like what he was saying about the fact that Captain Kirk, you know, uh, you know, uh, is a little stale that after after motion picture, like he, you know, maybe uh, you know, need to find his mojo again. But he wouldn't exactly consider himself untried. <laughs> Although, you know, it's interesting because I, I thought that was that was kind of a, a a good way of looking at it. Although, in some ways, that was kind of you know what we got in, in, motion, in picture. Uh, motion picture to a certain yeah. extent. We got that in Wrath of Khan as well, but from a different point of view. You know, the the from a uh, different the, point of view. From a different, from a certain point of view. <laughs> but you know, it was the difference between like I haven't sat in the captain's chair and I'm unfamiliar with the Enterprise now. Yeah, right. To I'm getting older. And am I losing a step? Well, when he was yeah. talking about the, uh, you know, the various uh, franchises that Paramount was trying to get into the comics realm, um, I thought, what a what an interesting uh, uh, sort of combo to have uh, Star Trek and Mission Impossible work together. Ooh, that would have yeah. been interesting. Have been Reuniting interesting. the Desilu Productions yeah. under one roof. Yeah, and Manic shows in for a page. And See, then I was leaves. hoping... <laughs> I was hoping for the foul play comic <laughs> or man. Oh, I, I, I figured I was ready to take the chance again. I, I just wanted to oh see Goldie God. and Chevy chase and what would happen and the, the dwarf. And it would have been great. Would have been Honestly, great. It could have gone to the Vatican and it could have been an assassination <laughs> attempt. And it would have been, I don't know. You don't want to see a foul play comic. Paramount I, comics. I, Never. I, I just sat there just sort of like thinking, like, what, what are all the things I would, I would do? Like, like okay, so Greece. if I were going to cross over, you know, Marvel comics with Star Trek, I would do Star Trek Fantastic Four, you know. Oh. Or if I were going to do Untold Voyages and do a Doctor McCoy story, I would do like Doctor McCoy in the Disco era, like Doctor McCoy, like Studio Fifty Four. Well, there you go, Saturday Night Feature, Disco, Disco McCoy, Tony Manero, and, and Disco McCoy. Be yeah, perfect, awesome. Disco era like, McCoy Night Fever, Saturday Night, exactly. Saturday Night Fever meets Star Trek the Motion Picture. Yeah. It yeah, would be fantastic. you should be dancing. Be great, right. and it well, also he's Spock, beamed off the dance floor. Spock on. goes through uh, through the plaque towel, and it's Saturday Night Blood Fever. <laughs> well, they see the disco what? ball and they say, "Oh my God, Baylock's back!" Right, uh, <laughs> I got some you know, old voyages for you right here. Oh, I would like to see Joe Pendleton meet the Star Trek cast. Oh my god! Could be god, like a heaven can wait. Star Trek. Yeah. I was wondering what happened to Joe Pendleton once he was in the other body and he forgot Julie Christie. But this maybe is an excellent to... body. <laughs> it's returned to tomorrow. It's great. Hanok and 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 uh, wow. and, and uh, you know when it'd be great. It'd be great. And Joe Pendleton's in one of those big uh, <laughs> yeah pools, those big cubes. He's in a big ball. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> maybe that's why Paramount, maybe they didn't need our help with Paramount no, Comics. No, it would, they didn't. would have still failed. <laughs> Another dream that failed. What oh could be goodness. more tragic? Um, <laughs> but this is the look. This is interesting. We we love our Trek archaeology. We love to find, I said, ding! we'll find these different aspects of the Star Trek universe. It's what I call Trekication. So, you know, after the, after the many years of uh, of, of of our it's character countdown, 
we were able to return their truckication. We found something that a lot of people don't know about. Even Darren learned a little bit today. Indeed. I think we're all better for it. And I think, right, it's like this is the part where we're on the bridge and we're just having a little laugh and we're getting ready to engage and move on with our lives. And go to the next the freeze system. frame with the laugh and the coffee still pouring. Wait, no, that's exactly. uh, police. That's another that's another paramount combined with Star Trek. Frank Drebin and Captain Kirk. The naked time gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I gotta tell you, I, I don't want to jump the gub on this, but um, so I've been watching on Peacock, oh God. Six Million Dollar Man. Oh, yes. been, I'm done with Pluto and Star Trek. I, I've seen it, I, I don't need to see it anymore. So I've been watching Six Million Dollar Man. Oh my God, I'm having so much fun, but I skipped ahead to watch the um, Shatner watch. one. The no, Shatner I, one? I, went, I oh. went to the Shatner one for a season, and oh, is it amazing in, in just a, a sheer awful way. But um, he plays an astronaut. He's like Lucy in the sky with diamonds. But um, it was uh, it's really interesting. But I'm I'm really hoping that we can we can do a six million dollar man episode on. Oh, Deck we 78. have to. We no, have completely. To. Yeah, because um, there's a lot to to deal with over there in that six million dollar. There's so many. You know who's in um you know who's in the pilot and cyborg? Barbara Anderson. Yeah, Le- Lenore Caridian. She's great. And and then um, she's not insane anymore she's not insane in the membrane anymore she is very very sane and uh, she's great in that and then um uh uh, lorette spang was in like the Mm -hmm. the 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 second episode also playing a doctor not a social leader a doctor and uh it's just i'm having so much fun seeing all these people but you know the best thing and we'll talk about this when we do our six million you know who the narrator is for the for the opening credits ashley darren you know don't answer this it's isn't it Oscar Goldman? No, well, yeah, you hear his voice, but before that, they say Steve Austin, a man barely, barely alive. alive. Do you know, do you know yeah. who says that? Who? It ain't Bob Sound. You ready? Go guess. Is it Harv? It's Harv Bennett. Oh my God! Really? Yes. yes. That's Harv Bennett. How oh cool is that? God. Yeah, it's Harv Bennett. He's the one who does the narration until Oscar Goldman comes in. For the greatest opening credit sequence of any show ever. Oh, yeah. yeah. You kids today, you have no idea. No yeah. idea how cool those things used to I, be. I, I'm so into $6 million Man right now. You're going to be hearing a lot this year about $6 million Man. I'm so into <laughs> it right now. And I want to literally tra- run and bring it up on my TV and watch it. Well, the new transfers are But I want to run slow motion. Gorgeous. They're gorgeous. And it's so interesting to see the way the show evolves, because a lot of the stuff we take for granted in that show isn't in it or you know the, the slow motion yeah, slow early down. on it's kind of depressing it's kind of depressing it's kind of slow yeah and um and it doesn't have a lot of the cool stuff and it's not nearly as pulpy it's, right we'll, you know, we're gonna save this for another episode yeah, save it for the <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden this is turning into deck 78 yeah 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 so anyway well look I, I thank you to glenn for joining us thank you of course to mark rivera our great sound engineer uh peter holmstrom and uh and you for joining us again for another episode of Inglorious Trek. So if you're enjoying the show, now that we're back to talking about Trek topics other than characters, um, please rate us five stars wherever you listen to the podcast. And uh, you can also follow us on social at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at um, Inglorious Trek. And of course, if you want to become a Trexperts Plus subscriber, you can do that at trexpertsplus.com, or you can purchase some really great Inglorious Trexperts swag from Kirox Corner. So there'll be a link to that as well. 
uh, for some great Trek Expert swag. And of course, we hope you'll, uh, if you're in the neighborhood, you'll be able to join us at GalaxyCon in Richmond at the end of March, where Ashley will be making his GalaxyCon debut with Darren and myself. So that'll be really fun. (laughs) Be gentle. Exactly. So until next week, on behalf of Ashley Edward Miller, Darren Doctrine, and myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking. Ingloriously, of course.